sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I don't think it's too much to ask for guns, Second Amendment right, and sense with it. We just, we can't, we have to stop pretending that the, that the Second Amendment is the amendment above all that's sacrosanct. Well, we will certainly pursue uh, sensible gun control legislation as one of our priorities. You know, we're having, we're getting to the point now where we're having mass shootings every week. It, it's, it's not even, it's hardly news. We're also seeing solidly red states like Utah, Idaho, and Nebraska vote in favor of Medicaid expansion, which indicates that people want more health care, not less. And I strongly believe as a physician that health care has to be a fundamental human right and that women's health care is health care. Illegal immigrant was released from uh, Middlesex County there and came right here to the Midwest, right here in southwest Missouri and killed three people. And that's just another classic case where we could have uh, saved three lives and, and we have three people, three innocent people that are no longer here because um, sanctuary cities and, and sanctuary counties. And now, Stacy Washington. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, we are gonna dig into this. Let's dig into some chitter chatter about a number of different things, specifically how an ICE Immigration and Customs Enforcement detainer was ignored, and that individual was released instead of being released to ICE, they were released out into the you know populace where they traveled to the state of Missouri and killed three people. Not one person, not two people, but three people were killed by this individual. I mean, I just, it's kind of unbelievable. Unbelievable. Now, if you tried to call into the show uh, and you want to get in to discuss any of these things, call lines are open, 866-963-2037. Call in and join us at 866-963-2037. We're also going to talk about the uh, ridiculousness of the idea that we can have sensible gun control. We already have a whole range of laws to control guns. And they don't work. The more gun control we have, the more violence we have. In states that don't have as many laws about gun control, you don't see as much violence. That's because criminals know what's up. They know when the populace that they're living among is armed and they know what to do. They do the break-ins and all that stuff when no one's home. And then we're also going to have a kind of discussion, actually two different audio bits on on gun control. And we're going to be talking about, uh, you know, the... First of all, the agenda of the Democrats, which I launched into just a little smidge, and I want to get the remainder of that done. And I'm I'm going to cover this completely. I, what I've been reading and seeing is that the Democrats have already begun to kind of flesh out where they want to take their investigatory powers. And in order to kind of see what they're going to do now, you have to see what they did before. And it's instructive to look back at what they were doing when they were in charge back in 2006. Now, this was when they were last in charge of the House of Representatives. And what they wanted to do was have kind of an aggressive tone and influence, but they had to be careful about it because they couldn't get too crazy because they had to reelect Barack Obama. In 2006, the president was going to be coming up for election in 2008. So they had a couple of years to lay the groundwork for that. 
So they wanted to be as radical as they could, but they had to downplay the radicalism publicly. And that's the big difference here. And I want to highlight in 2006, they were just as radical and crazy then, but they had to be, you know, on the secret about it. They had to keep it hidden, keep it safe, keep it secret. Now it's all out in the open. They've given the parts of America's populace that are hungry for that kind of action. They've given them a taste. Now they're going to make good on the little dribs and, and, and drops that they've given out so far. They're going to go full bore. So you've got that whole situation. Now, we've seen a lot of aggression. We've seen the severity of it on the left. We, we, we've seen that the media no longer tries to act as if there's nothing wrong. The media, in fact, goes to great lengths to say things like, well, no, that's not a mob. They, they want to change the definition of words, but they don't, they don't castigate the behavior. At first, they said Maxine Waters maybe wasn't right when she said run them out of public spaces. But then when they saw it in action, they liked it. They saw Sarah Huckabee Sanders get thrown out of the little Red Hen restaurant. And so they liked it. Now, I, I don't know. Have we even checked to see if the little Red Hen is still in business? Um, she had closed the restaurant down. Uh, she'd actually closed that restaurant down. And for, for a couple of weeks after the story broke, because the people in her town were so divided and she stepped down as one of the leaders of her town. Um, but I don't know if the restaurant's back open again or not. And I'll have to definitely check on that. Maybe on the next break, I'll get a chance to look it up and see if they've reopened. Um, let's go back to the phones. We have Tony in Kansas. Thank you so much for calling the show today. Oh, you're welcome. And, you know, I've spent the last 17 years studying criminal justice in higher education. I'm a scholar. And in the past five years, I focused mostly on um, homeland security, counterterrorism and such. And I've been watching this stuff just kind of to myself and watching what's happening in our country with leaders like Maxine Waters and Eric Holder and, and Nancy Pelosi encouraging violence against people for, for whatever their political beliefs are. And I, I can't help but wonder why nobody's considering this domestic terrorism when people actually follow through with it. I cannot wear a Trump hat out in public because I'm afraid of getting attacked. People are getting attacked all over the country for being Republicans. And I, I, people are just dancing around it. And it is, by definition, domestic terrorism. It is. So first of all, thank you for the work that you've done in that arena. And you are correct when you say that it's domestic terrorism. I think my, my problem, Tony, is that let's put the shoe on the other foot. I know it's a hypothetical, but just for this particular instance, can you imagine any Republican calling for violence the way Maxine Waters and others in the Democratic leadership have done and then conservative Americans, Trump hat wearing Americans going out and being violent in the ways that we've seen the Democrats do and for them to not be arrested, for them to be allowed to vandalize property and terrorize people in their homes and no one to get arrested and for there to just be this kind of overall silence in the media about it? Oh, no, absolutely not. This, I mean, we're, we're encountering a rebellion here and it's against a democracy. And but, see, when we see it in other countries, we see it on the news and we we send our troops out to fight against it. But when it's here, we aren't doing anything about it. We're just sitting here sweeping it under the rug, acting like it's not, we're silently suffering. 
And mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm astonished at what happened to Tucker Carlson's wife. I mean, I, how is that even possible in this country? And how are political leaders encouraging it? I just, you know, Tony, it, it makes me feel sad because I'm, I see every time they get away with it, I feel like they're emboldened. And it sets them up for a really hard fall because at some point they're going to be not in Maryland, a gun control state, not in Washington, D.C., a gun control district. They're going to be somewhere where the person that they attack is armed and they are credibly afraid of a mob of people attacking them and they're going to defend themselves. And then what will happen? You know, I just I don't want to see that. I don't want to see Americans defending themselves against other Americans over political speech. It's not worth it. How is it justified? I mean, what they're doing is they're building it up in these states that, that are very liberal states, and they're building up these little, uh, these large groups of people that justify it. And I, I saw, I heard about Berkeley. I'm just blown away by all of this. How our Republican leaders aren't stepping in and saying enough is enough. No, they're not. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is because in my mind, we would have seen people getting arrested and the arrests would be the deterrent, the prosecutions, but we haven't exactly. seen that. Or charge some of these people with domestic terrorism. That's a deterrent. And it itself, is. call it what it is. Yeah. <laughs> the first person who gets convicted on a domestic terrorism count for so-called protesting, but they're actually doing, you know, the things we've seen that would completely reorient the way these people behaved because they're only going by what they oh, know the, the rules allow. Yeah. Antifa is out of control. But I mean, they're just out of control. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, oh, wow. Thank you, Tony. Thanks for it. calling the show. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you're right. I, I think you are absolutely right. Thanks for calling into the show today. Have a great afternoon. I'm, I'm interested in seeing people prosecuted, not because I think pe- I want people to get in trouble. I'm interested in seeing them getting prosecuted because I want to see um, justice. And I, I, I'm fine with protest. I was fine when all the protests were going on here in St. Louis. I wasn't fine when they decided to shut down the highways. I was fine when they were, you know, standing outside of businesses. I was not fine when they were laying down in the Galleria Mall and making you walk over them to shop. So you see what I'm saying here? When you're protesting and you've got your permit and you're doing whatever you're doing, look, I may not like what you're protesting about. I may not agree with you, but I don't care that you're protesting. You have every right to do that. But when you're blocking the highway so I can't go pick up my kids or an ambulance can't get someone who's been injured to the hospital, now you're not protesting anymore. As as Tony described, there's a difference between legitimate protesting, which is constitutionally protected, and these other things. Vandalizing other people's property, setting police cars on fire, beating people down for wearing a Trump hat, pouring drinks on people who are wearing Trump hats, running people out of restaurants where they've paid. No. It's not okay. So I told you uh, about the little red hen. I was saying I wondered what had happened since Sarah Huckabee Sanders was kind of run out of there. What had they done? Well, they actually have had the entire town suffer. The tourism in the entire town has suffered because of what happened at the little red hen. And this was an article from the AP from uh, just over a month ago saying that the Roanoke Times has reported regional tourism board pulling together emergency funds to boost their digital marketing campaign with money that they normally save because they're in desperate need of positive coverage after 
the news media descended on Lexington, uh, basically saying, you know, what happened at the Red Hen. I noticed 70 percent of the reviews for the Red Hen are positive on Yelp. Um, and so it's it's clear that the restaurant has reopened. But this is the chance that you take when um, when you decide to make politics more important than running your business. There's no way. There's no way that it's okay to run people out of public spaces over politics. I mean, we didn't see that kind of behavior back in Nazi Germany, where they were shipping human beings off for experimentation and mass murder, and nobody ran anybody out of a restaurant. That's when people should have been running each other out of restaurants. That's when people should have been openly fighting over the agenda that the Nazis were putting forward. Now we have simple left-right politics, and the people on the left are demonizing people on the right. All right, I want to um, quickly cover Maryland has sued to block Whitaker from serving as attorney general. The legal challenge argues that the appointment was unconstitutional. The only thing unconstitutional about Whitaker is that he's not going to, you know, that according to their mind, Democrats don't see the Whitaker recusing himself. They don't want any oversight over the Mueller investigation. Democrats don't want oversight over Mueller because Mueller is not operating within the bounds of what he was mandated to do. He's supposed to be investigating Russian collusion, not the president's finances, not his business dealings, just Russian collusion. Now, if there's Russian collusion in any of those other items I just named, then sure, investigate those. But if there is no evidence of Russian collusion in any of those items, then why would Mueller be investigating them? That is why they don't want oversight. And I think it's pathetic. You know what I'm so sick of is how Democrats are only interested in oversight when they're doing it. They're only interested in investigations when they're doing it. When someone they don't like is in power, they want to remove them, even though President Trump was elected by the people of the United States. Was it what the Democrats wanted? Of course not. Was Barack Obama what we wanted? Of course not. But you know, anyway, so you've got, you've got that. And I want to make sure um, that you saw that, that that is a story that Maryland moving to block Whitaker, like Maryland is the only state in the country that has anything to do with who our attorney general is. Unbelievable. All right. When we get back, we're going to be talking about gun control and how we don't need any of it. We'll take your calls and we'll have more here on Stacy on the Right, 866 963 Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. You know, our tours each year fill up quickly. And so I'm letting you know now, uh, don't tell anybody else now, that the uh, 2019 Spiritual Heritage Tours are planned for June and for September. So if you want to go this year, that is 2019, you need to let us know as soon as you can. Visit the website spiritualheritagetours.com. Spiritualheritagetours.com. Again, those are two separate trips, one to Williamsburg, Jamestown, and Yorktown, and the other one to Washington, D.C., and George Washington's Mount Vernon. Stephen McDowell, who's the president and founder 
of the Providence Foundation is our historian, and he'll be on both trips telling us the behind the scenes and the stories of who, what, when, and why. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. The term anti-Semitism has been loosely thrown around for years and used recently to label the president, even though he has Jewish people in his extended family. It's about time to give specificity to a real problem that has often been redefined and demeaned by misuse. At the core of anti-Semitic thought is that Jews are the source of many social problems, and thus Jews are guilty of everything. This is what's so crazy about this false belief. Supposedly, Jews are the reasons for problems and commerce in our culture. Arab countries have 40 times the population of Israel and occupy land area that is 500 times greater. Yet it is Israel that is the problem and must be pushed into the sea. And the United Nations routinely passes resolutions condemning Israel while ignoring significant human rights abuses in other countries. The murderer who rushed into the Pittsburgh synagogue and killed 11 Jews certainly believed that Jews were the problem and needed to be killed. If you read some of his gab posts, you will be horrified by his anti-Semitic words and images. Dennis Prager reminds us that Jews understand this hatred. On Passover, they read from a Jewish prayer book these words, In every generation they arise to annihilate us. Notice it doesn't say persecute us or even enslave us. Anti-Semites want to kill all Jews and eliminate them from the planet. This level of hatred isn't just irrational, it's demonic. It's about the only explanation you can have for people possessed by a level of hatred that makes no sense. Jews number 18 million in a world population of 7.5 billion. Israel occupies a landmass no bigger than New Jersey. Yet Jews are the problem and Israel is the problem. This only makes sense when viewed through the lens of spiritual warfare. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. You know, we have... Um we're told that by, by, by the NRA and others that the problem is mental health or whatever. But you look at Western Europe, you look at uh, Japan, and they have uh, 50 gun deaths, 120 gun deaths, 150 gun deaths. We have 33,000 a year. It's a slander on the American people to say that our people are 10,000 times as mentally ill as people in Western Europe or Japan. The problem is the unfettered... Uh, 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 use of assault rifle, of, of military-style weapons, the lack of appropriate background checks, uh, and we will do, we will have to deal with this. Uh, yeah. Okay. So that's Representative Nadler, and uh, he says, "Look at Europe. Well, look at them. Look, look at their landmass. Uh, look at their population. The population of Europe as of 2018, according to the interwebs, is 742 million. Um, but what's that got to do with the price of tea in China? Like, why is it that Democrats love to compare us to Europe or uh, Australia or, you know, what? So what? That's like me going to my husband tonight and saying our neighbors across the street just put in a new kitchen. And he'd say, oh, that's nice. And then I'd say, so we need a new kitchen. And he'd say, wait a minute. <laughs> that's not how this thing works. <laughs> and so what? So Europe is doing what now? Europe doesn't have a single constitution. 
Europe is not one nation. It's a bunch of different little countries with their own particular backgrounds. They're related loosely through their you know, feudal system when they had monarchies and whatnot. And certain parts of their nations, the leadership basically would intermarry and, you know, strengthen their their lines and all of that stuff. But as of right now, they're just a bunch of modern countries who wish they could operate like the United States of America, but they can't. They'll never be the United States of Europe. They'll never have the same kind of cohesive unit that we have because we are one people group. We bring people from other countries to intermingle with our native born Americans And everyone who comes here becomes an American. Not so if you move to France or England, et cetera, et cetera. It's not the same thing. And it really, it doesn't even matter even if it was somewhat loosely arranged in the same manner that ours is because we've had the right to bear arms since our inception because that is how we threw them off of us. Remember, we used to be owned by Great Britain and we showed them the door at the end of a musket. It wasn't like we said, will kindly ask you to leave. And they said, tally-ho, off you go. No, it wasn't that at all. It was, hey, we don't like paying your tax and now we want to be our own thing. And they were like, you're not leaving. And we were like, no, you're right. We're not leaving. You are. You're going to get off of our American soil and we're going to drive you off of it with these muskets and we'll walk barefoot in the snow to do it. And oh, by the way, this is America. You know, you understand what I'm saying. So, this guy, Ralph Nadler, Representative Nadler, who's saying we're certainly pursuing sensible gun control, he mentioned also uh, Japan has, you know, very few shootings. Well, they have about half the population that we have, and they have an extraordinarily high suicide rate. They don't kill each other. They kill themselves. No offense. Y'all know I love the Japanese. This isn't about, you know, downgrading them. It's just about talking facts about what happens in their country. They have a different culture. Their culture is actually you know, in a lot of ways superior to ours because they're so cooperative with each other. When they have a natural disaster, they don't loot. They don't they don't beat each other up. They don't fight each other. They just get in orderly lines and wait for their opportunity to get whatever is being handed out. They're just different. Now, I want to give some some clarity to his comments. First of all, we don't have a mass shooting every week, so he should zip that up. That's a lie. The CDC also states that in 2015, 44,193 people died from suicide. 44,000 people. Now, remember, the only other numbers that compare to those are the numbers of people who die from heart disease and, uh, and, and obviously the number of people who are dying from the opioid epidemic, which are 55,000 for the last three years in a row. These are real crises that we should be handling, but you never hear the Democrats talk about it because they don't care about rural Americans who are dying from opioid uh, overdoses. They don't care about suburban Americans who are dying from them. They care about controlling the guns because that's what stands in between them and total domination. So you had 12,979 people dying from firearms, and this is according to the National Vital Statistics Report, Volume 66, November 6, November 27, 2017. That was when it's accessed. So you have 44,193 people killing themselves in America in 2015, and roughly 13,000 people utilizing a firearm to a firearm was utilized in their death 13,000 in a country of over 300 million but this is their primary focus controlling the guns now how could we lower that number if we're talking about the 12,979 people and and the huge bulk of that that group were black killed by other black people how can we reduce that number 
Well, let's take one metric, which is the number of students who are black who are going to school to study engineering. And first of all, why engineering? Because engineering is a career field that consistently over the decades, it has never gone down. It's only gone up. The median income for a graduate with a degree in any of the 16 engineering disciplines is always 10 to 15,000 than the median income for a family of four in this country. So they usually come out of college with a four and a half to five year engineering degree and they earn starting out well over $60,000 a year. Notice I said the median, not the average, the median. So that means half of the people earn below that, half earn above that. So back in 2003, 6.2% of all of the engineering students in this country who were attending colleges in this country for engineering were black, 6.2%. Blacks are 13% of the overall U.S. population, but only 6.2% of the engineering graduates, engineering students were black. That was in 2003. So you're probably thinking, oh, well, after the first black president, and after so much talk about race and after so much of everything going on with the Democrats and they're striving for utopianism, that number surely has improved. Well, let's go to the statistics. In 2013, 10 years later, after the advent of President Barack Obama, you have the latest data available showing that 5% of all of the engineering students currently in college right now are black. 5%. So actually fewer. So you have the first black president, the first black first lady, the first black family, the first black attorney general, all of these firsts. And what do you get for it? the percentage of blacks studying engineering has dropped. Now, how do you change the circumstances of an impoverished group of individuals who more than like, more likely than not will end up in the prison pipeline, meaning they can't do math and English, uh, math and reading at grade level in the fourth grade. And by the eighth grade, they're dropping out, getting jumped into gangs, going to prison. They're getting arrested. They're getting introduced to the prison system. This group of people I'm talking about are the inner city, the impoverished blacks in America. And how do you change their circumstances? Well, obviously, the first thing is if you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will radically adjust your trajectory. But how do legislators and public policy analysts impact that group of people? Well, you would have to get more of them reading and doing math at grade level in the fourth grade which means you have to go back to their preschool the year before they go to kindergarten to make sure that they know 20 sight words can count to 30 and can visualize numbers from 1 to 10. They also have to be able to sit still for, uh, you know, 40, 50 minutes at a time and follow a multi-part instruction. Once you've got a child at three and a half, four years old, four and a half years old who's able to do those things, then they're ready to enter public school at the kindergarten level. And then from there, because they're entering at the same level as everyone else, you don't have the behavioral issues when children realize everyone in the class can do something they can't do. They start acting out, having behavioral problems and sent out of the classroom and told that your kid has ADHD, they can't sit still. And then they're being offered Ritalin and all this other stuff and being classified as having some kind of learning deficiency. I, look, I'm telling you, this is, this is what happens to black kids in America, kids living in poverty in America, some Hispanic kids. It happens to kids who they come to school unprepared. 
and they continue to be unprepared. And the gap between what they and their classmates know continues to widen until they get to fourth grade. And that is when the parents start getting these notifications about their kid not being on grade level. They start yelling at the kid. You're not paying attention in school. But the kid was never ready for school. And by eighth grade, they've fallen so far behind and now they know it. Now they know they can't read. They know they can't do math. They know that they are really far behind. And why go to a building where every day you learn just how much you don't know? Why not just stay home and get into something else? Stay at someone else's house during the day and skip school and figure out something else to do. Hey, the guy on the corner says I can make a lot of money every day, 120 bucks a day. If I just pass these little white packets out and give him the money, he gives me a huge cut. I can have some money to spend during the day. I can take care of myself. I can make sure I have food to eat at night. And that is what is happening. And so instead of Nadler and all of these other gun rights people or gun grabbing people running around talking about how, you know, what we need to do is we need some gun control. What we need is for kids to be prepared to go to school. We need to restore families. We need to incentivize families. Intact families are what brings The children, when you see them showing up to school and they already know where a comma goes in a sentence, that's a kid who has a mom and dad at home. And a lot of people, you may be listening to this, you're like, well, my single mom raised me and I went to college and so I'm sick and tired of hearing you say we need intact families. You know what? God bless you and good for you. And congratulations on having an amazing mom who was able to pull you out of a statistical nightmare and create success for you. I bet you anything she spent a lot of her time when you were sleeping praying over you and praying for these kinds of results. It can be done, obviously. But it is not the optimal situation, nor is it what God called us to. God called us into a triune bond, male and female, bonded together for life with God so that he could ordain and bless our union with children, families that are strong and rooted in his word, that are producing successful children who then go out and reach their mark for Christ. And so this isn't about making anybody feel bad. It's about telling the truth that God's word has. If you have a problem with it, take it up with him. I think it's wonderful that you were successful and that your mom was able to do it on your own and good for you, but that is not the optimal situation. And everyone who's telling you that it is, is lying. And so instead of talking about controlling the guns, how about controlling these families? How about controlling the environment where these children are being brought up? They're human beings. A couple weeks ago, I was talking about how people don't think I have feelings because I'm forceful on the radio and because I'm really tall and I'm black. And obviously, I do have feelings. People treat statistical anomalies that way as well. These black kids in the inner cities, they don't care about this. They don't care about that. Yes, they do. Poor kids in rural areas don't care about this. Yes, they do. They're people and they care and they have feelings. Any human being, especially those who are trapped in poverty and they understand and they know my situation is not only not the best, it is clear that I am disadvantaged. And they want the same things that other kids want who are living in the suburbs, whose parents are divorced or what have you, because it's not like the suburbs are free from any kind of ill. All kids want the two parents. And that is why we have to stop talking about controlling guns and start talking about controlling our own behavior and controlling family situations. Creating an environment in which the intact family is not only the ideal or something that we say is a result of white privilege. Having a husband and a wife raising kids is not 
a white thing. It is a privilege to partner with God in that good work, but it is the work that we do. It is the thing that propels families to success. Having a husband and a wife together, raising a family, sets your family outside of the opportunity to fall into these negative statistics. Of course, there are going to be families that have a mom and a dad that, you know, perform poorly, and, and, but it's not the norm. It's not the norm. God's word is true all the time. It's true regardless of how you beat the statistics. It's true regardless of how it makes you feel. It's true, it's true, it's true. It's not my thing. I didn't write it. I'm not responsible for it. I'm just telling you what the truth is. And so for every minute we spend talking about these gun control statistics, there are families out there who could really benefit from the knowledge that, you know, maybe you're shacking up your part-time Maybe the two of you should sit down and think, you know what, in 10 years, where do we want to be? Let's get married and let's give this thing a try. We go to church sometimes. Let's start going every Sunday and just see what happens. Let's just try this. Well, we're, now you're acting white. So be it. Call it whatever you want. Call it acting white. Call it acting like a Martian. Call it acting rich. Call it acting like somebody who has two brain cells that work. Call it whatever you want, but try it because the Formula for success is out there. It's not a secret. It's available. Anyone can access it. Anyone can do it. It's a simple decision that a person has to make that I don't want my kids to be statistics. I don't want my kids falling through the cracks, not being able to read and do math in the fourth grade. So I'm going to marry their dad and I'm going to get my family on the trajectory for success that is so obviously laid out before me. All I have to do is make a decision. I'm going to get on that path. This is the thing that Nadler and Cuomo and Don Lemon and all these other people. I mean, just check it out. Cuomo, he's married. They have three or four kids. His wife's been on CNN before. He doesn't live like he tells everybody else they should live. Same thing with most of these talking heads on TV. Now, obviously, Don Lemon, he's not, he's, he's not a traditionalist, but so many of the rest of them are. Not only are they traditionalists in their marriage and they don't get divorced, they, they marry their college sweetheart or their high school sweetheart, they stay married, they have all their kids together, the kids go to private school, they live in these closed off enclaves. If they're not gated, they're so expensive, you can't get in there, you cannot afford to live there. And they can afford to live there because they're in television. They're making a half a million dollars a year or more. They can afford to live in these really exclusive suburbs. And so they're not only untouched by the regular crime that most Americans have to deal with if they live in certain inner city areas, but they also don't have to worry about illegal immigrants being in their neighborhood unless the illegal immigrants are there to work for them under the table. So they've insulated themselves from the effects of their own policies, but they're advocating for you to live any way you want to, not the way they live, because they don't care if you're successful. That's the big deal here. That's what they're not talking about. All right, when we get back, we're going to listen to Don Lemon and Cuomo talk about guns. Stay there. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. A Republican from Oklahoma has a plan to fund completion of the wall at our southern border. Senator Jim Inhofe's solution is simple. Reduce illegal immigrants' access to federal welfare and use those savings to fund the wall. Here are the specifics. The Wall Act would require each person seeking to collect the child tax credit to have a work-authorized Social Security number instead of just the child. It would also require that E-Verify be used to prove citizenship. 
the minimum fine levied against illegal border crossers would be increased. With open borders Democrats poised to take over the House in January, Inhofe's plan should be implemented during the lame duck session. It's no secret that America is a great place to live. Congress should act quickly to end the attraction of taxpayer-funded easy living for illegal immigrants. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. Hi, this is Steve Tiber of 8 Days of Hope. Since Hurricane Michael struck Florida, 8 Days of Hope responded very quickly. We sent volunteers, leaders, and equipment to aid those who lost everything to no fault of their own. Ministry is happening every single day through an 8 Days of Hope volunteer. If you'd like to be a part of 8 Days of Hope down in Panama City Beach, go to 8daysofhope.com. It's an active disaster site, so you need to be 18 years of age, but we provide the food and lodging. We have all the tools and equipment. All you have to do is have a willing heart. Hurricane Michael was the worst hurricane since Hurricane Andrew and the strongest hurricane ever to hit the panhandle of the beautiful state of Florida. Eight Days of Hope will be in Panama City Beach through November 24th. That's the Saturday after Thanksgiving, tarping roofs, doing chainsaw work. Today, there's hundreds of volunteers from all over the country loving and serving people in need. Join the ranks of believers from around the country. Go to 8daysofhope.com, 8daysofhope.com. Pyro to the people with Todd Pyro. We're about two years into President Trump's time in office. How do you think he's doing? He's doing the best job of any president since Vince Reagan. He's rude, he's crude, he's bigoted, he's racist, he's ignorant. And he's proud of it. He's one of the best presidents, maybe the best president. He's trying to secure and keep us safe with the borders. There are no words to express my disappointment and disgust. I've, I can't even pick up the paper without wanting to vomit. He is dedicated and has his heart in the right place regarding America. I think he's, a, he's doing an awesome, awesome job. However, I think he could be a little kinder and sweeter to people. He's been very divisive. He's trying to trying to uh, fear monger, nationalism, fear of lo- uh, white males losing status. All I can say is that uh, my 401k is up 50% since he's been in office. With Pyro to the People, I'm Todd Pyro. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Uh, I've, I've been told the Lord helps those who help themselves. And um, the last couple of times we've had these shootings and I said, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. It's, why do we do thoughts and prayers? We should be doing what anything. it takes to, we should we should be be doing doing anything takes to stop this, It's right? what you do. But then you get criticized, like you said, we can't even have a conversation nope. because people will say, oh, what are you, anti-religion, anti-God? It's the dumbest argument. That's not what we're saying. We're saying before you get to those thoughts and prayers where you don't have to pray for the people who sadly lost their loved ones or are suffering from this or injured or what have you, maybe you should be doing something to prevent it instead of just afterwards going, oh, our thoughts and prayers, okay. See how pat he is? That's Don Lemon talking to Cuomo over on CNN about, oh, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. Yeah, when you say it like that, it sounds kind of silly, but I, I, I have a post on Facebook if you want to kind of be able to share that. We don't send thoughts to people. We think about people. When we pray for people, we don't pray to them. We don't send prayers to them. We pray to God in Jesus's name. And then we can tell people, I prayed for you, but you don't pray to people. 
and you don't send prayers to them and you don't send them your thoughts. Because if you know, if you have a way of sending thoughts other than email, please tell me how you're doing that because that's something interesting that I'd be interested in hearing. I just, you know, you can tell me about how you're doing, you're sending your thoughts in other, other ways besides writing them on a sheet of paper and then send them off or putting them in an email. If you're thinking about the victims of a tragedy, that is, that's nice, but that's doing nothing, thinking about them. And then praying to them, well, you see where that gets you. You pray to God about different people. That, that's so, I'm a stickler on that. I'm so sick of hearing it. It just opens it up for this kind of misinterpretation that we're hearing from these two dunderheads. He also said, God helps those who help themselves. Now, people would swear that that is something that is in the Bible. It is not in the Bible. It is usually attributed to Ben Franklin, who was quoted in Poor Richard's Almanac in 1757. But that's not even correct. The fact is, God helps those who help themselves originated from Algernon Sidney in 1698 in an article titled Discourses Concerning Government. It is not even biblical. It's not even slightly biblical. God helps those who help themselves. No, God helps the helpless. Isaiah 25, 4 says, For you have been a defense for the helpless, a defense for the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. Romans 5, 6 says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. It doesn't say God helped those who were ungodly put themselves on the cross so they could die for themselves. God helps those who help themselves. No. mm -mm. So when you hear somebody say that, you know, you don't have to rebuke them in the name of Jesus, but you can definitely correct them. That is uh, Algernon Sidney back in 1698 who said that it's not in the Bible. And that's why Google is our friend, uh, DuckDuckGo, Bing, whatever your search engine of choice is. That's why it's our friend. It's easy to find out. Is this in the Bible? Before you had to actually skim it or speak to a scholar or look at another book that talks about what's in the Bible. Now you can just type it in your phone and say, is this in the Bible? In terms of salvation, we're all utterly helpless. We are all sin-filled individuals in need of a savior. We cannot help ourselves other than to say we choose to believe in Jesus Christ. We choose to accept him and ask him to forgive us of our sins. That is the only help in ourselves we can do. And even that simple tiny act is predicated upon the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. So you don't even, you don't get it. You don't get credit for it. Now, there is a way that this whole God helps those who help themselves um, is, it, it is in theory, like, so you can, you can say that God does want us to be active and to work. Um, and that is in the execution of our faith. And so we have to believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. That's scriptural. And we have to act. In other words, let's say you, you're looking for work or, uh, you know, you, you need a job. You can pray, Father, I need, a, I need work. I need a job. You know, this, this is what I'm hoping to get. You know, help, Father, please send me an opportunity. But you still have to go through the, the work, the rigor of creating a resume for yourself or a CV. 
You have to go through the work of making sure that you're ready to do an interview by being dressed appropriately, by being able to, you know, perform all the functions that are necessary in an interview. So in that way, yes, you must help yourself because you have to be prepared. But the idea that, well, God helps those who help themselves. If we just need to pass some good gun control legislation and then God would help us. No, sir. That's not what this is about. It is not a it, it's not even close to that, that which is why we had to cover this today on the show. There was no way I could let the program go by without addressing this crazy talk, crazy, 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 crazy talk. Um, and this is just so I was in the airport yesterday. I told you guys. So remember on Friday or it was either Thursday or Friday. Bear with me. I don't remember which day it was that I interviewed um, Mr. Who did I interview? I, it was, um, oh, Stephen Moore, the co-author of Trumponomics. So I had him on the program and I was telling him how I was going to interview Art Laffer on Monday. And so that's what I did. I got up a little early yesterday and flew to Nashville and I went to Art Laffer's office. Now he's an economist. He's the creator of the Laffer curve and he has been working in economics and economic policy at the national level, specifically helping presidents to craft good policy uh, and and teaching at the most highest levels of uh, economics and at the university level since the Reagan years. So he has all these notes around his office from bipartisan Al Gore, uh, Bill Clinton, Donald Trump, Ronald Reagan. And he has done some amazing work. I mean, I just there's it's like meeting a bit of a legend. It, that's what it was like. Uh, for me yesterday. And so I got to interview him about economic policy, taxation, all of those things. And we're going to have some of that content for you here on the program. But suffice it to say, it was an amazing thing for me to get to sit and talk to him. I could have talked to him for hours or rather, I could have asked him questions and sat and listened. Um, But while I was in the airport in Nashville, I noticed that they had the CNN blaring up loud. It's not like they have it at a place where you can just sit and if you want to listen to it you can hear it but if you want to ignore it you can it's up so loud you have to leave the general area and get to the very edges of the seating spaces to to not have to hear it blaring in your ear and i still don't understand why we allow that as taxpayers in because taxpayers pay for airports why cnn has to be the garbage that's piped in that's and you know that's why their ratings are what they are It's not that so many Americans watch CNN. It's that they are piped into these huge spaces with large amounts of people flowing through and they get to count their ratings. All of the all the airports in this country have this agreement with CNN, save like one or two little tiny airports. Everybody's got this agreement to blare CNN. So it was it was annoying. And then there was uh, a coffee shop I went to to sit down and work with my laptop and they were blaring some CD by Rihanna. And I okay, I'm gonna go ahead and. I'm going to go ahead and say it. And y'all are, you know, if you have to, you have to laugh, God bless you. And I'm glad I'm able to help. But I had never listened to an entire Rihanna CD. Like I've only listened to whatever the most popular songs of hers are that they blare in the, the shopping places, like the mall and stuff. I've heard those songs, or if it's a song that's been incorporated into some kind of uh, commercial, then I've heard that, but I've not ever just sat down and said, Oh, let me listen to a Rihanna CD or, or so I sat there working in the little coffee shop at the airport and that music was boring into my brain. I'm sure that's part of the reason why I was so tired when I got home last night, besides the fact that I spent the whole day on my feet walking and, and you know, there, there really wasn't any downtime because doing those same day turnarounds is exhausting. But 
suffice it to say, it was a it was a pleasure to to interview him, and I'm hoping um, that when we have that interview available to share here on the program, it's going to be really great uh, content for you to listen to. It was a pleasure for me to get to interview him, and perhaps we could we could have him on the show live. I don't know. I I definitely uh, would consider that to be something really really impactful for us to have that content here. Um, so I was also, I'm, I'm, I'm going to cover this, what the Democrats were up to. Um, and we know, so let's, let's kind of reset this really quickly here. We have about five minutes left here in this segment. Um, what I'm really concerned with, with the house of representatives going back to the Democrats is that, so some people are thinking, well, you know, the Democrats won the House back and their agenda is going to be towards, obviously, towards ushering in a 2020 presidential win for the Democrats and also defunding the president's agenda. When they were in charge back in 2006, when they took power, they set the president up to have his agenda paid for, which is what the Republicans should be doing in the lame duck session. They should be funding the president's agenda for the next two years. Now, will they? I don't know what they're going to do because they, they're not very good at the lame duck. It shouldn't be a lame duck, by the way. It should be an active duck, a working duck, <laughs> the lame duck session. So also what the Democrats are hoping you'll understand and begin to accept is that the way that they're treating Tucker Carlson and his family, that that's the new norm. That's what you have to accept. That's what you have to put up with. Remember back in 2006, names you haven't heard in a while, SEIU, AFCME, they had union foot soldiers smashing windows, patrolling polling places, doing voter fraud and intimidation. Now, in 2018, you've got Tom Perez and all of those activities are now institutionalized and well accepted as a means by which they can win. Look at Arizona, which the Democrats have now stolen that election with Kristen Sinema being announced as the winner. They just brought in the votes they needed. Martha McSally won, and they said, no, you ain't winning here. They brought in extra votes, added them in, counted them, and now Sinema's the winner. Same thing they're trying to do in Florida. Rick Scott doesn't seem like he's down for the count, but that's what they're trying to do. And so... It's at our peril that we fail to accept what what they're showing us. Not only must we accept that this is the new norm for the Democrats, but we have to decide because it, it just becomes more and more obvious day by day who's on what side. The ones banging down people's door and intimidating women and children, that's the Democrats. It's not it's not Republicans doing that. Republicans lost the House of Representatives. No one rioted. No one burned anything down. No one got even the slightest bit upset. I mean, I, I understand people were upset about the election result, but I didn't see any, any violence, no outward symptoms. Republicans did not get together and go burn anything down because the House of Representatives was lost. So you've got the Occupy Wall Street violent anarchists who Nancy Pelosi said, God bless them. And those are the ones who were the parents, if you will, to the Antifa. Same people, same trainers, same people going around the country teaching folks. So the D 
Democrats last took power in January of 2007, Nancy Pelosi and Steny Hoyer took control of the final two years of George Bush's uh, second term. And this was back back in January of 2007. They laid the groundwork for the 2008 presidential election of Barack Obama, and they removed the budget process. Now, you're probably saying, well, Stacey, why do we care about what happened in 2007? Because it's instructive, because we've never returned to the budget process. They eliminated the federal budget process for fiscal year 2008. And that was after that, that was a precursor for Barack Obama to demand massive open-ended spending. And the lengthy budget process in 2008 was replaced by omnibus spending bills in fiscal year 2009. And then... They had the TARP bailout, the auto bailout, ARRA, QE1. These were all accomplished with massive omnibus spending packages. Then, from that moment forward, even though the GOP took back control in January of 2011, the constraining budgetary process was forever destroyed. We have not had regular order budgetary spending since 2008 fiscal year. It's 2018. We've had 10 years of open-ended omnibus spending under Democrats and Republicans after the obliteration of the constraining budgetary process by the Democrats. That's what they were able to accomplish the last time they were swept into power. What do you think they have planned this time? The Marxists and the Democratic Party are going to kneecap the president with the power of the purse. And that is the biggest weapon the House of Representatives has. They're going to use budgets to structurally defund and dismantle ICE. They're going to prevent the border wall. And any other program, initiative, policy, or institution they want to see eliminated, they will go about doing it through their control of the purse. Our response to that is, number one, what were we thinking when we put them in charge again? And number two, it's time for prayer. Prayer and working towards 2020. All right, that's the show for today. I'll be back with you tomorrow. God bless and good night from the heartland.